Good evening. Good evening. Welcome. Welcome to another edition of Atlas Live. This is the, what is it? The third or fourth in our series on practices, on core practices on the path. And we have covered transformation of impressions. We've looked at meditation. We've incorporated self-observation and self-remembering into our transformation of impressions. And in our, in our discussion of meditation, we mentioned pranayama. And tonight, we are going to be focusing on pranayama and in a real way, the metaphysical science of pranayama. It's important when we're practicing pranayama to know exactly what it is that we are doing, what it is that we are working with. Because there are a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings, misrepresentations, false teachings about prana and indeed how it relates to kundalini and how the two things are often confused. But more importantly, <clears throat> there is a general lack of awareness or lack of appreciation for the non-mechanicity, the nature of prana as an energy, which is not mechanical. Very often people think of energy and talk about energy in terms of spirituality. They talk about working with energy and even transformation or transmutation of energy. But in truth, they're thinking about energy in the wrong way. They're thinking about energy the way they think about electricity or other forms of mechanical energy. They're coming at energy from the perspective of physics, the intellect, our limited three-dimensional experience of, awareness of, an understanding of energy. But in truth, we only experience the effects of energy. Those effects can be mechanical in, insofar as in a universe of cause and effect, in mechanical nature, on the level that we are at in three-dimensional reality, there are mechanical effects. And certainly, we can look upon our physical body as a, as a machine. But its foundation is energetic. The vital body, the body of prana, the body of chi, is an energy body. But that energy is not mechanical. This is where a lot of misconceptions and a lot of misunderstandings and a lot of false practices and black magic and black tantra arise. 
from individuals being convinced or misled as to the nature of the energy that they are working with. And that if it's inherently mechanical, like electricity, like anything else, that it's inherently neutral, we can do with it whatever we, whatever we please. We can treat it however we want. It's our energy to use and or abuse as we see fit. And this is not so. And so when we contemplate a title for a lecture of this kind and what we come up with or what we are given to entitle this lecture as to feed your fire, we have to try to step back and take a contemplative, meditative approach to that phrase. What does it mean to feed our fire? What, what is this fire that we're talking about? And how does one feed the fire? The fire that we're talking about is the fire of Christ. The fire of fires and the light of lights. It is the energy in the universe. At all levels of manifestation, what we are experiencing is the omnipresent ray of Okidanok, the ray of creation that descends from the absolute, from the Ein Sof hour, the limitless light, through the world of Atsaluth, the world of archetypes, down through Bria and into Asya. And at all levels of manifestation, this energy is expressing itself in different ways, crystallizing in accordance with the density associated with that particular dimension, that particular level of creation. In the ninth sphere on the tree of life of Kabbalah, that energy is called Yesod, the foundation. And that is typically what we think of when we think about prana, chi, the vital body, the energy body, that it's, it's the fourth dimensional body. It is the foundation of the three-dimensional body or the three-dimensional universe. There is a, uh, the universe is electric, if you want to use the words of Walter Russell or Nikolai Tesla. That everything, all matter, there is no matter as such, all matter, all physicality, in the final analysis, is just vibrating energy. Energy which is brought into a particular vibration that it crystallizes and appears to form that which we experience as matter. And that is typically what we think of when we think of prana. But that's just the Christic force expressing itself as 
prana at that level. Prana, the great wind, the great breath, the great outbreath from the absolute, the ray of Okidanak. Prana exists at all levels. It exists in the astral body. It exists in the mental body, the causal body, the buddhic body. It is all prana. And so, and it is all the Christ. Specifically, the feminine aspect of the Christ, the Divine Mother, as it descends and vibrates the body of the universe, the Akash, on all levels, so it fecundates and creates at all levels, the Divine Masculine and Divine Feminine. But the experience, the substance available to us at each one of those levels as the Divine Feminine aspect is that which can give birth to the Christ. We were, we, we are doing these practices in a particular order. The transformation of impressions referred to the transformation of energy moment by moment, the transmutation and how negative experiences and negative impressions are gifts and have within them the potentiality, the potential to give rise to positive outcomes, positive knowledge, experience, learning, gnosis. So all of the energy that we have available to us at our particular level is there available to us to feed the fire of Christ inside of us. The Divine Mother gives birth to the Christ. So when we talk about doing pranayama, we are not conducting any sort of mechanical exercise. This is not a, we are working with the Christ in the form of the Divine Feminine, but also to feed this fire. Because after all, what is the fundamental task of every feminine aspect, every mother, on every level of reality. Every mother's task, first and foremost, is to feed and raise her young, her babies. And in us, 
the fire of Christ is just a flicker. It's just a spark. And if you've ever made a campfire, you know what great care and what delicate touch is required when you are first working with the kindling, first sparking, creating the spark to light the kindling, and you have a little, a little flame going, and you have to gently blow on it. You have to protect it from going out. There is a nurturing process, and you slowly and gently feed the flame what it needs in order to grow. So with that preamble, we did a fair bit of preparation for tonight's live stream because we felt it would be appropriate for you to hear some words from some of the masters on this particular subject. Pranayama is a science. It's a metaphysical science. It's not a mechanical science. It's a conscious science. But there are those who are far more well-versed in the subject than we are. And so we turn to some of them in the course of tonight's live stream to share with you some of their insights and their knowledge. As we progress through that material and get a clearer, more comprehensive, more voluptuous appreciation for what prana is and what it means to work with it. We will move into uh, the practical application, the practices, because there are countless practices and we can't go through them all, obviously, but we will touch on a few including uh, a couple runes and the relationship between runes and the fire, the relationship between runes and pranayama, working with the energy and how runes uh, play a part in that. So without further ado, let's... Um, adjust the size here and uh, let's see if we can't get into it okay so prana is sanskrit and it means it can be taken to mean many things including the breath of life uh, the breath it can mean filled old full ancient spirit vitality energy wind, again, spirit, respiration, spirit identified with the totality of dreaming spirits, poetical inspiration, vigor, life, power, air inhaled, a vital organ, vital air, and myrrh. As you know, myrrh was one of the gifts given by the uh, three wise men to the newborn Christ. 
This comes from the following website, which is the, uh, the course on Glorian.org called Fuel for Spiritual Experience. And in fact, most of the quotes that we'll be using in tonight's live stream come from that lecture from that course. And the link is on the screen, but we will also include the link in the, um, in the comments. Incidentally, speaking of links, we should uh, put the link to the live stream in the chat if you would wish to participate. Although tonight is going to be more of a presentation style. There is the link on the uh, on the screen. Okay. The following quote is from uh, Swami Sivananda. Prana is the total sum of all energy that is manifest in the universe. It is the sum total of all the forces in nature. It is the sum total of all latent forces and powers which are hidden in men and women and which lie everywhere around us. Heat, light, electricity, magnetism are the manifestations of prana. Whatever moves or works or has life is but an expression of manifestation of prana. The prana is related to mind, hod nitsak, on the, on the tree of life. And through mind to will, which is tipareth. And through will to the individual soul, tipareth gebura. And through this to the supreme being, chesed, atman. If you know how to control the little waves of prana working through your mind, then the secret of subjugating universal prana will be known to you. The implication here is straightforward. What Swami Sivananda is expressing in greater detail is the axiom as above, so below. If we can learn to control master our, the flow of prana within ourselves, then the secret, the methodology to mastering the flow of prana in the supernal worlds, in the supernal aspects of ourselves, our true selves, will become known to us. This is because prana exists on those levels. So the prana that we work with, we might consider it or to be as a sort of crude or more crude version. But crude is a harsh word. It's really more dense. It's really just a denser version of it. And part of the process of transmutation is precisely taking that dense form of energy and 
transmuting it, converting it into a lighter, more subtle, more delicate, a finer version of itself. It's still prana. It's still the same fundamental energy. Only more refined. We're, we're refining. And it's very much like we can think of it in a simple way as uh, refining gold or any other any other activity where what we're doing is purifying and what we are purifying of course removing the impurities it becomes more and more essential and more and more delicate more pure and it's that po process of refinement that requires a great deal of time and patience you can think about it like a blacksmith a japanese blacksmith making a samurai sword and hammering out the impurities and 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 putting into it the the carbon creating the carbon steel which is why samurai blades are so strong and so sharp it's because of the way in which they're folded and pounded and folded and pounded and folded and pounded over months and of course the application of heat and cold the the the, the fire and water and the feeding into that sword in order to make that steel all that it can be a sharp instrument that can be wielded and used in a wise way let us uh continue here as we work with prana at our level we may have heard of the uh, uh nadis or and uh, meridians these are the energetic channels in the body that the prana actually runs along flows along so this diagram uh to the right here is uh one from tibetan the Tibetan tradition. But of course, Qi is a, to this day even, a very common, very mainstream aspect of Chinese medicine. And this diagram shows the meridians. And the Chinese work with Qi, not just in ancient practices like Tai Chi and Qigong, but also they have incorporated into their modern practices things like uh, acupuncture, which is the application of uh, needles in specific points along the body in order to adjust the flow of Qi through the body to, ha to hopefully have healing properties on the body in the body 
because many of the diseases that we suffer from, we believe them to have material causes, but they do not. Most of what we experience on the material plane has an energetic cause. And this includes our health and disease. Disease means dis-ease. So energetic blocks in the body or negative energy or, or energy flowing in the wrong way, the wrong kind of energy flowing, all of these have or can have very dramatic and uh, debilitating physical effects not least of which we can think of cancer. Cancer is an energetic disease. And while it is true that interactions with toxic material or so-called carcinogens, etc., can bring about cancer, it is not the physical carcinogen, it is not the physical, it's not the physical interaction be between that toxin, that toxicity, that radiation, for instance, it is toxic energy, the energy within it is toxic. And it is that toxic energy, which causes the imbalances in our energetic body, which then manifests itself as diseases like cancer. where different nadis intersect we call those chakras and we'll just go ahead and just read this anywhere a nadi meets another nadi that spot is called a chakra a chakra is a conduit a transformer of energy a transformer of energy from one dimension to another they are points of connection to all the parts of the soul. A chakra is like a vortex. It is like an electrical transformer that takes energy, uses it, changes it, and transmits it. Chakra is a Sanskrit word that means wheel. The meaning is like a gear or a water wheel that moves because of energy. The body whether physical, vital, astral, mental, or causal, has many chakras. So at the beginning, when we talked about how prana is not merely fourth dimensional energy, it's not merely electrical energy. It is not isolated or limited to the vital body. Prana is on all levels. So here, very clearly stated, the chakras are the conduits, the, the metaphysical connecting tissue, the transformers that allow prana to flow and be transformed from its more dense or crude version to more subtle, more refined versions in the supernal bodies, astral body, 
mental body, causal body. That's prana. And why we meditate on the chakras, why we visualize and mantralize with the chakras is for precisely the goal of putting them into activity, getting them to move. Well, how do you get how do you get a water wheel to move if not release the water, which causes it to move? If a chakra is a wheel, a vortex, they, any vortex, any uh, maelstrom, any cyclone, even <laughs> the water in your toilet bowl, right? You have to flush it to get it to do this. It's not going to do this by itself. Something has to move. Something The water needs to flow. Same with chakras. You cannot put chakras into activity without prana flowing through them. And it's most people think of it, or they've been taught this in the reverse. They have to open their chakras. Their chakras must be opened in order for the energy to flow through them. It's the reverse. The energy flows through them that causes them to go into activity. And that energy is focused through will and through sound. That's why we use mantras when we uh, work with chakras and visualization because the consciousness is able to move prana. And yes, of course, like any rusty wheel or any seized up machine, you unseize it, you open it by jump-starting it and getting it to move. And then you work it in, you warm it up, you work it in. So then it's, then it, it, it will turn more easily, more readily, because you're working with it all the time. It's like that in, in any engine, right? If you don't run the engine on a regular basis, it gets seized up. The pistons seize. All, everything gets seized up. It's not, it's not being lubricated. It's not being put into activity. That which needs to flow through an engine the oil and the gas dries up and the engine seizes up. So too our chakras. If we do not regularly flow oil and gas through our chakras. Now, our chakras are not combustion engines. More aptly put, they're more like electrical motors. And an electrical motor can also seize up. So you run it regularly. And so you put the electricity through it regularly. And that electricity in us is our prana. And when we work with it consciously and move it through our body, it will activate our chakras and our chakras will go into activity and that there are so many different ways of doing this and that's when when we meditate on our chakras or we mantralize and focus on our chakras and visualize we are actually directing prana that is what we're doing that is we're using our mental center and our consciousness our imagination 
which is a form of clairvoyance, but it's in the it's in the higher regions of the mental center. And then if we pray and we put our heart into our prayer and we direct that love, that devotion, that that uh, humility, and we direct that prayer into our mantras, into our visualizations. Now we are activating our astral body. So we're, we're moving prana through the chakras in the mental center and the emotional center. Then if we combine it with breath, and if we combine it with our will and actually moving the prana that's in the vital body, now we are activating one, two, three bodies, four bodies, because we are using our willpower. Our vital, our astral, our mental, and our causal body, all in activity. And how is this possible? Because the chakras are the conduits, the transformers, the, the places in which the nadis in each one of these bodies intersect and intermingle. And the energy can transfer from one to another and be transformed. You may never have considered working with chakras and working with mantra in this way before and comprehending that all of your metaphysical reality, all of your metaphysical bodies, they're all prana. They're all expressions of the Divine Mother. Just as our physical body is. Our physical body is just a physical expression of prana, of energy. And you can't get anything to work. You can't get anything to move. You can't get anything to happen. Not a thought, not, a, not clairvoyance, not imagination, not emotion, nothing. Unless energy is flowing. That's what all of that is. There's nothing else but that. So we're starting to crystallize just how foundational and fundamental and important prana is on the path certainly because it is the stuff that constitutes not just our physical body our vital body but our emotional body our mental body and our causal body and indeed our buddhic body and atmic body this again we go back to what Swami Sivananda said about working with prana opens up the door to the, to the energies of the supernal worlds. So let's proceed and see how it does that. Prana relates to sex. 
in in the story of Genesis, Adam and Eve are ejected from the Garden of Eden. But esoterically, Adam is located in the brain and Eve in the sex, the sexual organs. Adam being the masculine force, the, the uh, manas, the divine mind, and Eve being the feminine force, the earth, the muladhara chakra, the, the hume, the stuff, right? The body of reality. So she is the hume, the earth, the substance. And Adam is the manas, the mind. So human being is the earthly embodiment of divine mind. Hume manas, human, human. That's where the man comes from, by the way, manas. Between Eve and Adam, we have the spinal column, the 33 vertebrae of the spinal column. This is the anatomical analog for what is described as Jacob's ladder and Dante's ladder. It is the steps, the 33 uh, symbolic years of Jesus's life. You have 33 degrees in Freemasonry. All of these numbers directly relate to the 33 vertebrae of the spinal column. In order to create masculine and feminine must unite. This is a universal axiom. Creation is sex. The force of the Christ, the divine androgen, separates into masculine and feminine in order for them to be able to reunite and create. So if Adam is in the top of the brain, in the crown chakra, and Eve in the sexual organs, then there is a, a connection that needs to be made. Now, what happens if Adam descends and goes down into the sexual organs? We've all experienced that. That is the experience of having our mind completely engrossed in our lust, in our desires. And if you have ever been infatuated with someone, when that sexual center becomes aroused, when the sex is stimulated, you cannot think 
about anything else. You cannot think about anyone else. Your mind is becomes fixated on the object of your lust, on the object of your desire. That is Adam falling, being tempted by Eve as he was in the Garden of Eden. And why an Eden in um, Hebrew, I believe it's Hebrew, literally means uh, bliss. So Adam and Eve were expelled from bliss because they they broke the one rule, which was don't do not fornicate. Because when Adam descends into into the sex and falls, then invariably the sexual energy there, the sexual force of Eve, the feminine sexual force is expelled and it falls from the muladhara chakra downward and then crystallizes what's known as the kunda buffer organ or the tail of satan a mind that is possessed by desire a mind that is consumed by desire by the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain a mind that is constantly fixated on material things, the, the world, the earth, the, 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 the physical stuff. A mind that is consumed by craving and aversion. A mind which has fallen into temptation by the tempting Eve, the tempting serpent. That mind is becomes a slave becomes twisted and corrupted and serves only to satisfy those desires but in the satisfaction of those desires the prana the sexual energy the precious energy that we have to feed the fire of Christ within, all of that is lost. All of that is wasted. And that's why you see and hear stories of rich and powerful elite secret cabals who must, uh, how should we say this without uh, raising the ire of, uh, of, of YouTube, You've heard of certain secret clubs and how they seek fresh and youthful and naive sources of energy. And the reason why this is, this practice exists among those who have devoted their life to material gain and to the pursuit of desire is because their minds are, are basically in their lower center. 
They worship the harlot of Babylon. And as you know, the harlot of Babylon is what causes the tower to fall, the spinal column to fall and create the Kunda buffer organ. But that Kunda buffer organ constantly causes the energy to flow down and out. And that's why we have that expression, down and out, to be down and out. Well, the ultra wealthy and the ultra powerful cannot abide being down and out. That's, a, that's, that's what they call homeless people. So they constantly have to replenish their energies somehow in order to be able to continue their lifestyles of decadence and pleasure and uh, hedonism. Of course, the reverse of this is possible. And the reverse is raising Eve up to Adam and taking the sexual force, the sexual fires, and raising them up the ladder, up the spinal column to the crown chakra. And creating not pleasure, not physical pleasure, not sensation in the physical body, in the earth, not satisfying that center of desire by expelling the energy, but harnessing and transmuting that energy and creating ecstasy, shamadi bliss, returning Adam and Eve to Eden, united in Eden, in the crown chakra. We raise the fire to the top of the, 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 the spinal column, to the top of the crown chakra. And we have here the image of the apostles experiencing the, the Pentecostal fire. Penta meaning five. The five elements united, upright, the upright pentagram, an upright human being. The five, the four elements and the fifth element united, harmonized, and raised an upright human being to the crown chakra and to create illumination, enlightenment. In other words, the awakening of the Christ consciousness inside of us. The development of the Christ consciousness. The eruption, the, 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 the kindling of that fire, of that flame. So in other words, we are harnessing the prana and raising it to feed the flame, the fire of Christ. And that's what the Pentecostal fire symbolizes. There is another way to interpret Eve and Adam. Um, Dylan asks, what is the Muladhara Chakra? A group of friends were gathered this evening 
and we were discussing the mula mantra. Is there a connection with the mudra? The muladhara chakra is the root chakra. It is located between, it is located in the coccyx at the bottom of the spine, between the sexual organs and the uh, and the anus. That's where the muladhara chakra is located. It is it is the the the, the basement, if you will, or the uh, or the floor of the torso. And that's where the that's where the kundalini resides, uh, coiled up three and a half times. That's the muladhara chakra. That's where Eve exists uh, metaphysically. Now, when you talk about mudras, and if you talk about the mula mantra, uh, we don't know what you're referring to there. So we cannot tell you that what they're that if they have any association to the muladhara chakra. What we can tell you is that the mantra, the sound that stimulates the muladhara chakra and puts it into activity is the sound it's the s elongated s so um so we can't answer we can't give you a, a good answer on the uh, mula mantra we don't even know what the mula mantra is and uh and we're not well versed in mudras so You'll have to go elsewhere to to if you are looking for answers uh, about mudras. Okay, so another way to look at uh, Eve and Adam is to look at the divine feminine and, and divine masculine. To look at the connection between the divine mother Kundalini, the sexual fire, and the Holy Spirit in the crown chakra, the divine masculine the fire of the Holy Spirit and raising the fire of the divine feminine to unite with the fire of the divine masculine to give rise to the fire of fires and the light of lights of the cosmic Christ. So the Holy Spirit in the crown chakra, the divine mother in the root chakra, it's the same symbol as Adam and Eve at their respective chakras. The point is, is that these are the two extreme points that, and between them are all the chakras, the primary seven chakras anyway, that we work with. And as we raise the energy from the root chakra to the crown chakra, all those um, uh, chakras are put into activity. But Adam and Eve also represent Ida and Pingala, the actual energetic channels on either side of the spinal column. And in men and women, they are reversed. That is why when a man and a woman comes together to practice Tantra, the energetic channels are in a complementary alignment. So fitting like lock and key so we're just going to read this because this is this is important for for some of the practices so we'll just mention it we take the energy into both nostrils that connects to those conduits of energy in the male the left nostril is related with ida 
the moon channel. And in the female, the left nostril is related to Pingala, the solar channel. In the male, the right nostril is related with Pingala, the solar channel, and the left nostril, the female, is and the solar channel and the left nostril, the female is Ida, the lunar channel. Through each breath, we are drawing energy in relation to those two channels, in relation to those two lungs, in relation to the two ovaries, and in relation to the two testicles. Each channel, each nadi, connects to the opposite testicle or ovary. In the male, Ida, the left nostril, connects to the right testicle, while in the female, it is the opposite. Ida, the right nostril, connects to the left ovary. This may sound a little confusing, but what it basically just says is that the energetic channels, Ida and Pingala, each represent either Adam or Eve, either masculine or feminine. And they can both flow up and down, but when we are visualizing the flow of prana, as we are practicing pranayama, for example, we want to visualize the connection between the right nostril and the left testicle or left ovary and the left nostril and the right testicle or right ovary. And that the polarity of, of those channels are reversed depending on whether we are a man or a woman. So this is good to know if you want to practice pranayama such as uh, Egyptian Christic pranayama, which we will get to a little bit later. But just for the time being, it's just another way of understanding the relationship between Adam and Eve inside of us. So Adam and Eve as an allegory. Adam and Eve as symbols of the masculine and feminine force. The masculine and feminine expressions of prana. Because they are both energies inside of us. And when we are working with prana, we have to work with both energies. It's not just a matter of one or the other. It's both. And they have to be in balance. And pranayama helps in uh, accomplishing that, helps in achieving that. But also because in bringing both into activity, we have the opportunity to unite them. And in the uniting of masculine and feminine, we achieve the awakening of the Kundalini, which is the united, awakened expression of prana it is masculine and feminine united so there's a third channel in other words and that third channel is called the shushumna canal that's in the center of the spinal column and it is in the shushumna canal that the kundalini rises from the coccyx to the brain But that kundalini cannot be awakened and cannot rise if our masculine and feminine energies are not balanced and not in activity. And, and that if the nadis and the connection 
between our Adam and Eve isn't cleansed, isn't clean. And all of our chakras aren't, aren't in activity. So again, it's like that engine that's seized up. Right? We have to we have to keep the engine in good condition and clean and lubricated, and then it can it can perform. So these three channels are embodied in the Western symbol of the Caduceus of Mercury, or also known as the Staff of Hermes. Now, the center staff is usually a stick, a staff, but it should be a serpent. It should be a snake. Because the serpent is the symbol of the Kundalini. And on either side of that center serpent are the two serpents, Ida and Pingala. And uh, this is, again, if Ida and Pingala are represented by Adam and Eve, now it begins to be clear why in the Garden of Eden there was a serpent that came between Adam and Eve. And it was the tempting serpent. It was Lucifer. Lucifer who trains us. Lucifer who tests us. But Lucifer works for the Divine Mother, and the Divine Mother is the serpent. It's all one symbol. It's all related. And the test is, um, as it relates to Tantra, can masculine and feminine work together in the ninth sphere with the sexual energy and sexual union, but flow up and in? Or are they going to give in to lust? Are they going to, are they going to succumb to the desire to fornicate and flow down and out? Well, clearly... The Caduceus of Mercury demonstrates in its symbol that the serpents have to rise and the winged, uh, the wings unfold from the spinal column when the energy rises. Next, we have then the relationship, we've been touching on this, the relationship between pranayama and tantra. Here we have a yogi practicing a simple pranayama, and we'll describe that in a bit. But prana, being Sanskrit, means energy, wind, breath, or life force. Yama means stopping, effort, or lengthening. So pranayama means wind stopping or wind lengthening. It can also be in English understood as harnessing the winds. That is also a correct way of thinking about pranayama. Now most people think about pranayama as breath control. But that is not what is important here. Breath control is one thing. But the essence of pranayama is the stopping of the wind and lengthening of the wind, harnessing 
the wind. The harnessing of the wind. And what are we harnessing the wind for? Though The wind of prana, the energy, the divine life force. We're, we're harnessing that to feed our innermost intimate Christ, which is just a spark, a seed, a baby, the baby Jesus inside of us. Because he is just a baby. And like the three wise men who bring to the newborn Christ child their gifts, and one of those gifts is myrrh, that's one of the synonyms for prana. We, we harness the wind inside of us to feed our innermost intimate Christ. But it's the stopping of the wind that allows us to harness it, is it not? Think of a sailboat. How does a sailboat harness the wind? What is a sail? What does a sail do if not stop the wind? And as it stops the wind, the wind pushes the sailboat. The sail catches the wind, and that creates the momentum, that creates the movement. It's the same thing with a water wheel. You, you have a river, you have, or you have a waterfall. You, know, you stick a wheel there, and the wheel has what? The wheel has paddles. And what do the paddles do? They stop the water. And the water pushes on the paddles, and all of a sudden, the wheel is moving. Remember what we said a few moments ago about chakras. And flowing into a, what is a vortex? What creates a vortex? Vortex is caused by what stops the flow and what allows the flow. It's a lengthening of the flow in a circular motion. Because otherwise the water would just go... But the water doesn't go like that, does it? We can learn. It's amazing how much we can learn from a toilet bowl. The water doesn't go whoop down the down the down the hole in the bottom of the toilet bowl. It doesn't do that, does it? It swirls around and around and around and around and around and around, and it goes down in this spiral vortex. If you are interested in studying this on the level of electricity, read Walter Russell, read A New Concept of the Universe. And Walter Russell reveals through his recording of his meditations, because all of Walter Russell's discoveries and insights came from meditation, and he outlines that, he outlines that in the preface of his book. All of 4D uh, electrical science is all vortex-related. It's all vortex science, fourth-dimensional vortex science. All the energies, all the, the electromagnetic potentialities, both positive and negative, unfold in this constant vortex pattern. But a vortex is created by stopping flow 
and lengthening flow. In order to what? In order to harness the energy. Because that is what keeps a toilet bowl relatively clean, is that motion. That kinetic force that's elongated. So this is, and again, coming back to the sail or any type of, we talked about in the past baffling, and we've talked about vortexes and spirals uh, when we talk about the alm of life. A baffle to water causes the water to swirl around and that energizes the water. It makes the water structured living water. The baffle, what stops the flow, energizes and alivens the water. The water harnesses the, 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 the spiral motion which is caused by the stopping of the flow. This is the essence of pranayama. This is the metaphysical science of it. Vortex science. Spiral science. The science of stopping flow and elongating flow and creating a spiral vortex. Not breath control. Breath control tells you nothing about anything. It's not what you're doing when you're performing pranayama. You're not merely controlling breath. That's an incidental. That's incidental. And the breath that we're really concerned about is not the physical breath anyway. The physical breath is related to prana. But as we practice pranayama, it is the prana that energy, that wind, the life force that we are concerned with. The stopping and the lengthening of the breath is simply a tool, a technique that we use as beginners to get us into this deeper practice of mastering and working with the, the breath of life, the wind of, of, of existence. Now, this invariably, we've mentioned her already, but invariably, we have to get into the Kundalini. Pranayama, this is again, is uh, uh, pranayama is about harnessing energy. The energy that we are trying to activate is the energy in the central column, the spinal column. It is to take energy from the other nadis, especially the energy from the sexual organs, and move it into the central column, into Shushumna. That energy is called Kundalini. Also in Tibetan uh, tantras in Sanskrit, it is called Kandali. Sorry, I'll read that again. Also in Tibetan tantras in Sanskrit, it is called Kandali. In the six yogas of Naropa, it is called Tumo or Dumo. In Kabbalah, Kabbalah, it is called Shekinah. This energy is the Divine Mother herself. That is why here we have a yogi, a Tibetan yogi, practicing hamsa, uh, pranayama. And 
we have the Ida and Pingala. on either side but we have the central channel the central column as well in other words the caduce of Mer the caduceus of mercury now let's continue on because this leads into a discussion about kundalini awakening kundalini is sanskrit and comes from the word kundala, which means coiled. This is because that power is coiled up at the base of the spine in the chakra muladhara. It is latent, dormant, awaiting the moment it is activated. To awaken the kundalini and raise up the spine as an initiation cannot be done by a single person. It can only be done by a couple, a man and a woman who work together. Only a man and a woman can give birth, whether physically or spiritually. This is why all the religions hide the secrets of sexual magic, scientific chastity, the way to create the soul through sexual transmutation. Now, there's more. So... Well, one cannot experience a kundalini, uh, one cannot awaken the kundalini and one cannot complete the work as a single person, cannot be done. But having said that, that doesn't mean that we cannot experience moments and sparks of kundalini awakening there's a difference we can have for example every shamadi that we have and we'll get into this when we talk about pranayama and meditation and how prana relates to meditation but when we work in with pranayama when we work with ida and pingala we're working with the masculine and feminine forces inside of us and if we work diligently and regularly and with the correct attitude and the correct focus and concentration and relaxation and, and devotion, prayer, praying to our Divine Mother while we're doing our pranayama. Yes, indeed. Because pranayama, prana, is the kundalini. So we can experience moments of flashes of awakening, of sparks, of kundalini awakening. That is what we call shamadi. That is what we call visions. That's what we call ecstasy. That is the actual kundalini having moments of awakening. But we cannot raise the kundalini up the spinal column. And we cannot fully awaken the kundalini as a single person. Because that's, we can't, it's, uh, that, that is very, very uh, uh, difficult to do. There are there are some yogic practices that are ancient and secret, and it requires many, 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 many years of practice. Um, and the vast majority of 
Hatha yoga schools and schools of Tantra, etc., they do not know those practices. They do not teach those practices. What they're doing is manipulating prana. But they believe that they're awakening their kundalini. They believe that they're raising their kundalini. But they're not. They're not. Aleteria asks, so someone who cannot find a suitable partner can never be awakened? Sorry, this seems like nonsense. We never said that you can't be awakened. We said you cannot fully awaken and self-realize. You cannot become a master. You cannot become a self-realized master. No. Because that requires the complete awakening of the Kundalini. And there's a difference between having moments of awakening and being completely awake. But when we're talking about the awakening of the Kundalini, right, we're not talking about the awakening of the consciousness. Those are two separate forms of awakening. They're related, but they're separate. So you can awaken. You can awaken. You can become a Buddha. But in order to become a self-realized master, that's a different level. That's a higher level. That's the level of, that's the, the direct path, the path of the razor's edge. That's the path of the bodhisattva. There are many Buddhas. There are many people who are uh, awake but they have not practiced uh, white tantra. So Master Samael and the tradition of Master Samael, he teaches the direct path, the, uh, the, the, the path of the razor's edge, the path to mastery, the path to self-realization. That is a path achieving a level higher than mere awakening. To be awake is one thing, but that's just the first level. That's, that's at that level. And it is possible to awaken to practice as a single person, practicing pranayama and meditation and all that, and, and, but also uh, sexual chastity. Yes, Buddha had a partner. Jesus had a partner. The Dalai Lama has a partner. But all of these teachings were secret. In Buddhism, this is not taught openly and publicly. This is an inner teaching that is only taught to monks and nuns of Buddhism. They're, they're the only ones who learn. That's why in none of the that's why this isn't openly taught in any books of Buddhism. Because in Buddhism, in all traditions, actually, let's try to put this into context. The Kundalini, the Divine Mother, she is the power of creation. She is the sexual force. That is the power to create at all levels because it is the ray of creation, the omnipresent ray of Okidanak, the Christ that we are working with. And that is an incredibly powerful potent energy. If we work with that energy in the wrong way, if we harness that energy not for the purpose of 
awakening our consciousness of creating the solar bodies of eliminating the egos of uniting feminine and masculine within us and becoming a true human being and becoming a self-realized master and incarnating the Christ and feeding our inner Christ child, right? All of that is possible with this energy. But what happens if the wrong sort of people gain access to the teachings and they learn to start harnessing the energy to feed not their inner Christ, but to feed their desire, to feed their egos. That is what you see in 99% of schools that claim to teach Tantra. They're focused on uh, having more intense more uh more intense longer and and uh more pleasurable orgasms and more frequent orgasms that's how they teach tantra that's what they that's what they say tantra is about and they revel in that pleasure and they revel in the orgasmic pleasure and then you have the schools of black magic that teach the harnessing of the sexual force in order to manifest desires to manifest money, wealth, fame, power, influence, sexual partners. Things like The Secret, which, which is, is, a mainstream, is, is a mainstream property. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a complete, it's a brand. There's a whole brand now associated with that. And they have multiple movies out now all based around this black magic pra practice of harnessing the sexual force, the divine mother, the creative force of the universe, to create more darkness, more blackness, more ego, more desire, more suffering. It is only because black magic and black tantra are the norm in for this humanity. Every book on Oprah's list talks about manifesting manifesting desires it's the norm it's what people believe is is spiritual people believe that that's what spirituality is now and people believe that sacred sexuality means having more and greater and deeper and more powerful more potent orgasms with your partner they're convinced of that they've been told that but they have been misled And the only reason why Master Samael came and openly taught the path of the razor's edge, the Arcana Mezadef, is because the cat was out of the bag. The Pandora's box was open. The Black Lodge had already disseminated all of this information. So there was nothing left to lose. But some traditions, for example, Buddhism, still stick to tradition and they won't break the tradition they won't they won't openly talk about white tantra they won't openly talk about these higher teachings because they still keep the tradition that says this is 
This is powerful knowledge. Knowledge is power and power corrupts. People have to, an individual has to demonstrate to us that they are worthy of receiving this power, that they are worthy of working with this energy, that they are worthy of it. They have to demonstrate that. That's why Buddhist monks and nuns go on three-year retreats doing, doing nothing but meditating and practicing pranayama, cleansing themselves as much as possible as uh, individuals, meditating on their egos and practicing the pranayama and cleaning all their energetic channels by flushing it all out uh, day after day after day after day and mantralizing and doing all these other practices and, and smudging themselves and doing hard work and discipline and all of these things. Why? So that they can prove to themselves and their superiors in their order that they have earned the right, that they are trustworthy, that they are loyal and that they're devoted and that they will not abuse the knowledge. That is why it's not common knowledge about Buddha having a wife and the Dalai Lama having a partner and how Buddhist monks and nuns unite with one another once they've achieved a certain level in their order. Benjamin asks, people should be taught, especially young ones, should be taught the sanctity of, of the holy matrimony. Master Samael is truly ahead of his time. Only a few people understand him until now. There are some others who are, you know, catching on to this. Um, for example, uh, David Deida, who writes about relationships and the, the relationship between the divine masculine and divine feminine. In his book, The Way of the Superior Man, he talks about, he talks about retention of the sexual energy. He talks about making love without, without um, indulging lust and without indulging the orgasm. And there are others as well. There are others who intuitively arrive at this place where they just their conscience, their 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 higher their their awakening, their knowledge, their just they just start to know, they start to sense that there's just something wrong with indulging that desire, that pleasure, that pleasure seeking, that there's something antithetical to the path. In fact, if you do uh, read or listen to the lecture on pranayama in the Fuel for Experience course, uh, the Gnostic instructor goes on at length at the beginning of the lecture talking about the Mahayana mindset. And yes, Way of Superior Man is an awesome book. Yes, we're glad you we're glad you've read it because it's it's one of those it's one of those books not written by you know I know a master or whatever that that has a lot of really good practical advice for for couples. And again, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit unfortunate the title because uh, because of the title, a lot of women refuse to read it. They get turned off by it just by the title. But 
as you can attest to, Eleftheria, it is a book that both that is really written for both men and women. It's um, um, I've often wondered if if uh, if he should re-release it, uh, you know, the way of the superior human, <laughs> or something. Uh, but in any case, in any case, if you've read it, then you can attest to its value, and and we've read it, and we can certainly uh, echo your sentiments there. Um, yeah, so the Mahayana mindset, um, the Gnostic instructor will go on at length about it, talking about it, but what, what is that really? And again, this comes back to that previous statement we said about proving your worth and your worthiness. We're on this slide talking about awakening Kundalini, so we might as well address it here as well. Um, Your divine mother is the kundalini, right? To For her to awaken and for you to be able to harness that energy, that's like a mother giving the keys to the car or giving access to, uh, to the stove or giving money or whatever to a child now if you're a mother and you have a child who's misbehaving a child is untrustworthy a child who who is deceitful a child who is selfish only thinks of themselves a child who's constantly seeking how to use and abuse whatever they can get their hands on for their own pleasure, for their own gain, or for their own amusement. Or a child who uh, relishes in the uh, anguish and suffering of others. Are you, as that child's mother, going to hand him something of power? Are you, are you, does, does any mother give a rotten child the keys to the car or access to the kitchen or access to her wallet a rotten spoiled selfish troublemaking child a wise mother does not a wise mother does not give a bad child access to power. You don't do it. Power corrupts. So if you if someone's already, you know, on that side of the fence, you don't go handing them more power. You just don't do it. The same thing applies to us. If we're, if we're, if we're only pleasure-seeking, if we're only concerned about ourselves, we're only thinking about material things, we're only thinking about uh, you know, fame and fortune and, and uh, pleasure-seeking and avoiding pain, etc., etc., etc. Our Divine Mother is not going to be eagerly handing over her gifts, her most precious self, Because she knows 
the fire that we're going to be feeding with her precious energy. is the fire of desire. And the fire that we're going to be kindling is the fire that we're standing in, the fires of hell. The Mahayana mindset refers to one who no longer really thinks about themselves. One who's not concerned about, well, material things or worldly things. One who's more concerned about others and the suffering of others and ending the suffering of others. And this is the mindset which we generally um, associate with the saints with the masters, with the avatars, individuals like Buddha, like Moses, like Jesus, individuals who dedicate and devote their life to others. And they demonstrate to their own individual divine mother their worthiness of her power, their worthiness of her gifts. They are as children are responsible to receive all that she can bestow upon them to help feed their fire because the fire that they're kindling and the fire that they're seeking to inf become inflamed with is the fire of the Christ. That is the child that is being nurtured by their divine mother they're not nurturing their their tortured and hurt and traumatized little child of ego of the false self they are wanting to nurture and grow and mature their innermost christ child and they turn to their divine mother with humility and gratitude and prayer and devotion and dedication and loyalty and humility and they prove themselves to their divine mother and their divine mother responds in kind that's the mahayana approach the mahayana mindset that's the bodhisattva approach so this awakening of kundalini, again, this is not some kind of a mechanical process. We're not talking about a mechanical energy. You can do all the pranayama in the world that you want. You can do all the practices in the world you want. If you do not have the right mindset, if you, do not, if you are not living in the right way, if you are not aligning your actions with the spiritual path, with your innermost being, your true self, your innermost intimate Christ, then the Kundalini will not respond to you. We're just working on a video as we speak 
um, it's taking some time because we're we have so many other things on the go, including writing our book and working on these live streams, etc. But in that video, Master Samael talks about the selfish practitioner, the selfish initiate, one who is on the path but only thinking about themselves, and how they can beg and plead all they want for initiations, they will not receive them. They will not receive them because they only think about themselves. They're only, they only want, they want initiations because they want to awaken powers. They want to be clairvoyant. They want to feel spiritual. They want to feel superior. They want to be able to travel in the astral plane and, and do all these things. But they want to have their cake and eat it too. They still want to fornicate. They still want to seek pleasure and avoid pain. They want their comforts and security. They want all the uh, you know all the trappings of life. They want the nice car and the nice house and the nice and the the the, the good reputation. They want to be adored. They want to be beloved. They want lots of people. They want lots of followers. They want lots of people to admire them. And on and on and on and on and on and on it goes. Me, 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 I, 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 I. And they want to be able to talk about all the things that they can do, the powers that they have, the astral travels that they've done. Well, do you think, do you think their divine mother is going to grant them initiations? That is a selfish, self-centered, egotistical initiate. And if they do use, because these, these, these individuals are often the ones who end up, uh, well, look, George Ivanovich Gurdjieff called them Hasnamusin, those with a dual center of gravity. Now, what does that mean? What that means is someone is working to awaken their consciousness and they're working with pranayama, they're working with their sexual energy, but as they're doing that, they're thinking about lust, they're thinking about their desires. And the mental center, their mental center is down here. So they're activating their sexual energy, they're working with their sexual force, and they're doing all the practices in the right way, except that mentally they're still they're still aligned with desire mentally they're still in tune with their ego which means what they're doing is they're awakening their ego they're awakening in their ego they're creating a dual center of gravity and that dual center of gravity invariably leads to a demon to a black magician master samael said that on the path of the razor's edge, there's really only one of two outcomes. The creation of a, an angel, a master, or a demon. That's why it's the, the path of the razor's edge. And a true master, the bodhisattva, is one who, who remains on that edge in between those two things. but not indulging particularly either because 
there is a way of becoming a, a holy, righteous, self-righteous, holy initiate, right? There's that, there's that angle to remember as well. But in any case, the point here that we're making is that when we're working with prana and the sexual energy, because as we said, prana is not just in the vital body, it's also in the emotional center and in the mental center. If, as we're practicing pranayama, if, as we're practicing white tantra, we are, our mind is in lust and our heart is in lust, then we are going to be feeding that fire, the fire of lust, the fire of ego. That brings us, well, we're going to cover pranayama and breath first, and then we're going to get to pranayama and meditation. So um, some quotes here. Regulation of breath is the stoppage of inhalation and exhalation. So it's pretty straightforward. We're just talking now of the relationship between pranayama and breath and how why these practices most often involve the, uh, the breath and the holding of the breath. Pranayama is not, as many think, concerned solely with the breath. Breath indeed has very little to do with it. Breathing is only one of the many exercises through which we get to the real pranayama. That's Vivekananda there. Oh, uh, okay, one more. There should be no strain in any stage of pranayama. This is something that um, this is something that that is important. Many uh, pranayama practices and videos that you will see, especially ones related to Black Tantra, other tantric schools that teach the use of tantra to to um, uh, elevate sexual arousal and 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 have more intense orgasms. They often teach this very violent, harsh strained, stressed sort of breathing exercises, <laughs> right? I mean, this is not, this is not pranayama. This is not how to work with the prana. This is not how to stimulate the prana. Again, if, if you're doing it that way, you're doing it wrong. You're, you're feeding the wrong centers in the body. You're feeding the animal centers, the physical centers, the, the, the lust, the desire, the excitement, the you're and you're overloading <clears throat> you're overloading the nadis with the energy um before we continue Eleftheria asks did jesus put others before himself he seems like a the real deal but it is a hard act to follow um well jesus uh, went through the crucifixion uh, for our sake, so uh, so that he could negotiate and change the rules of karma for this planet and this humanity. Namely, that karma can be negotiated and, and some karma can be forgiven. So he, and he, I mean, yes, he is a hard act to follow, but remember, Jesus is the master of masters for this planet. He is the greatest master who's ever walked this earth. So uh, we don't necessarily have to uh, have in our mind that we have to be like him. It would be nice, and we should try to emulate his example, 
as much as we can, but there's we don't have to go around uh, you know healing the sick and raising the dead and walking on water in order to have a Mahayana mindset, a Mahayana attitude. And for example, uh, in our case, we do these live streams, we make our memes, we write our blog articles, we're writing our book. Um, we've, we, we live below the poverty line. I mean, but we live in relative comfort compared with most who live below the poverty line. That means that we live at home and we take care, we help to take care of our 82 year old father, but it's his house that we live in. We have a, uh, the basement. We live in the basement of the house. We're, we're still single. Um, so we don't, we don't, we don't own a car. We basically, everything that we own that's of any particular value is for the sole purpose of being able to do this work, right? We have a webcam, we have a tripod that the webcam sits on. We have a television and we have a computer monitor and we have a computer and we have a microphone. Um, we have what's behind us, what looks like a green screen is really just a green cloth draped over an old projector. So, but we're no, we're no Jesus. We're in progress. We're in formation. We're Atlas in formation. That's why we called our channel and our, our everything. We called it Atlas in formation because we're nowhere near completed our, you know, finished our journey or finished our work. But why do we do it, right? Not for our benefit. But it's our passion. It's our it's our what we're willing to sacrifice and suffer for is to help others. And for example, in this tonight's live stream, we are taking information that's available readily readily available. We're trying to maybe presented in a new way or a different way, in a more accessible way, maybe. Just, just giving it a new home, another expression. Um, listen to your heart. And if, and as you're doing your pranayama, as you're working with the Divine Mother, pray to her. You know, you can ask for guidance. You can ask for assistance in the development of the Mahayana mindset. Show me the way. Show me what you want me to do. Show me where my particular skills and talents and abilities and energies and gifts would be best applied, how they would be best applied. Direct me. Show me the, show me the way and I will follow. You know, surrender. 
commit yourself, dedicate yourself, devote yourself to your innermost being and your divine mother as a servant would to your inner Lord and master. Uh, LF Tira says, you do more than most. Hopefully, Trudy Trudeau will fall. <laughs> uh, well, let's uh, let's skip the politics for right now. But uh, we definitely uh, uh, we appreciate the sentiment there. Uh, there's definitely um, uh, well. Again, let's not get into uh, too much of the politics and. Um, Let's just um, let's just say that uh, Trudy—that's a good way to s call him—is uh, really just a uh, really just a puppet. Uh, if you want to know what's really going on, you got to go. Um, uh, you got to go around the world, and you got to think in terms of uh, four letters: C C C P. And then we, then you'll get a, you'll start to see the bigger. The bigger picture and why the guy looks like he's aged 20 years and four years okay so where were we oh yes yeah, so be relaxed relax 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 while doing pranayama uh no strain no tension there should be no strain in any stage of pranayama swami sivananda says a yogi measures the span of his life, not by the number of years, but by the number of his breaths. Now think about that for a second and contemplate what that means in the context of those so-called pranayama practices where it's... <laughs> this is Pranayama is not about increasing the number of your breaths. And the more you do that, the more you're shortening your lifespan. You know the old saying, it's not the years, it's the mileage. This is Swami Sivananda's way of saying that. We've talked about wheels and we've talked about engines and we've talked about flow through those engines. Well, it's the same thing, right? When you go to buy a used car, you look at how old it is. Yes, of course you do. But then the, but the, the next thing you look at, or perhaps the first thing you look at, is the odometer. Because a 10-year-old car with 30,000 with 30, miles on it is a hell of a lot different than a three-year-old car with 500,000 miles on it. Okay. This leads us to pranayama and meditation. Kumbhaka is retention of breath. Kumbhaka increases the period of life. It augments the inner spiritual force, vigor, and vitality. If you retain the breath for one minute, this one minute is added to your span of life. Yogi, yogis, by taking the breath to the Brahmarandra, 
at the top of the head and keeping it there, defeat the Lord of Death, Yama, and conquer death. Always inhale and exhale very slowly. Do not make any sound. Pranayama requires deep concentration and attention. Prana, mind, and virya, sexual energy, are under one sambandha, connection. If you can control the mind, then prana and virya and con uh, are controlled by themselves. If you can control prana, then mind and virya and uh, that's that's a typo. If you control the virya by remaining as an akanda brahmachari without emission of even a single drop of semen, sexual energy, whether you're male or female, for twelve years, then mind and prana are controlled by themselves. Okay, so let's get into the relationship here. So the prana and the sexual energy are under are are connected. And if you can control the mind, then the prana and sexual energy um, are controlled by themselves. If you can control prana, then the sexual energy and the mind are controlled by themselves. And if you do this in the practice of uh, scientific chastity, scientific chastity meaning the abstention from orgasm, not dropping a single drop of the sexual force, doesn't matter whether you're male or female. If you do this for 12 years, Sivananda says, then mind and prana are controlled by themselves. If you can control the sexual energy for 12 years, then mind and prana will be controlled by themselves. So there's this, there's this trinity going on here. Prana, sexual energy, and the mind. And what Sivananda is saying is that if you can master any one aspect of this triunity or trinity of forces, then the other two will more or less take care of themselves. Mastery of the mind will bring with it the control, the self-control of the prana and the, and the sexual energy. Mastery of prana will bring with it the control of mind and sexual energy. This is why we advise to practice pranayama as part of your preparation for meditation. This is what we mentioned in our live stream on meditation. And now, because of the relationship, because of now with this live stream, now you know why, the metaphysical scientific reasons why. Because prana is in the mind. Prana is not just in the sexual force. And that's why practicing pranayama in this way, Sivananda explains it right here. If we are practicing scientific chastity, which means we're not engaging in orgasm, we're not, and that also means we're not wasting the sexual force through other centers. 
So we're not, uh, we're not uh, binging, we're not binge watching Netflix, okay? Or we're not um, uh, um, otherwise wasting the sexual force through any of our centers, our mental center, our emotional center. We're not binge watching, I don't know, whatever, uh, I don't know, uh, romantic comedies that are getting us to cry and be all sentimental. And we're not binge watching that. We're also not allowing ourselves to go on angry rants on the internet or getting together with our friends to have three or four or five hour bitch sessions where we're just ranting and raving and angry and complaining about everyone and everything. And we're getting ourselves worked up into an emotional frenzy. That's wasting our sexual energy through the emotional center. Or we're not overdoing our physical activity and excessively expelling our sexual energy through the motor instinctive sexual centers, right? So we control our sexual force. We're, and we uh, uh, keep in check the mind. But if we can control the prana, the sexual energy and the mind fall into line. So by doing pranayama as a preparation for meditation, the mind, if we can master the flow of prana, the mind falls into alignment. We, the, the mind falls under our own control. According to the words here of Sivananda, these, this connection, the, uh, the, the, the sambanda between mind, prana, and sexual energy. So in a similar way, while we are meditating, if we practice pranayama, while we are, after we have achieved a state of meditation, we have that controlled relaxation, that focus, then the quality of our pranayama, the, our ability to move pranayama within ourselves, we won't even need to worry about the breath. We'll be able to work with pranayama regardless of what our breath is doing. Because the breath, again, is related, but it's not, that is not the, the pranayama can flow and it does flow regardless of how we're breathing. They're related, but they're not, they're, they are independent of one another. They're two different systems, right? Respiration and, and, uh, and our, uh, our energetic system, prana. Okay, um, this leads us into actually practicing pranayama. Breath is external manifestation of prana, the vital force. Breathe like electricity. Breath like electricity is gross prana. Breath is sthula, st st probably not, not pronouncing that right. Breath is sthula, st gross. Prana is sukshma, subtle. By exercising control over this breathing, you can control the subtle prana inside. Control of prana means control of mind. Mind cannot operate without the help of prana. The vibrations of prana only produce thoughts in the mind. It is prana that moves the mind. It is prana that sets the mind in motion. 
It is the sukshma prana or psychic prana that is intimately connected with the mind. This breath represents the important flywheel of an engine. Just as the other wheels stop when the driver stops the flywheel, so also other organs cease working when the yogi stops the breath. If you can control the flywheel, you can easily control the other wheels. Likewise, if you can control the external breath, you can easily control the inner vital force, prana. The process by which the prana is controlled by regulation of external breath is termed pranayama. Again, related to everything that we've covered so far. The stopping and the lengthening of the breath. We can do that in, on the crude level, the crude expression of prana, in order so that the subtle, higher prana follows suit. Prana is the purifying fire that cleans the scoria, which plugs the nadis. The veils of rajas, passion, and tamas, darkness, are dissipated with the sexual transmutation in prana, in pranayama. The mind of the student is prepared for dharana, dhyana, and shamadi with the practice of pranayama. The disciple should practice pranayama 10 minutes daily. The disciple should drink a glass of milk or eat any light food after he finishes the practice. The disciples can also practice while standing firm on their feet. The disciple should slowly inhale and exhale with his mind very well concentrated in his practice of pranayama. That's Sama, Samael Anmayor, Kundalini Yoga. Um, the eating of food uh, we find is optional, but you can get very lightheaded when you practice pranayama. And because you're working with energy, you may find it helpful to, to have a snack after you do your pranayama. But if you're doing pranayama as a preparation for meditation, you're not going to be snacking until your meditation is complete anyway. So um, we find that aspect of the practice uh, uh, um, optional. Um, but here you notice the reference to uh, uh, rajas and tamas, which are two of the gunas that we talked about not too long ago when we talked about the nature of nature and the three gunas. So rajas and tamas are the, the two lower aspects of our nature, of, of the, um, yeah, of our nature. So pranayama is a way of purifying and and uh, cleansing and dissipating those aspects the lower aspects of our of our nature our animal nature for instance our negative nature our ego nature okay so with that those two quotes uh, offering us uh some additional background 
then we get into the actual pranayama techniques. And the simplest pranayama technique is described here by Master Samael. Single people must transmute the seminal liqueur with deep breathing, keeping the lungs full 30 seconds or more. This svara, or breathing exercise, must be performed daily. So the absolute simplest pranayama, pranayama technique there is, is breathe in and hold. And hold for at least half a minute and then breathe out. And you don't have to make a sound when you breathe out. You can do this solely through the nose. You don't have to breathe out through the mouth. And hold the breath. And then after 30 seconds, breathe out. That's the simplest pranayama there is. There are, of course, hundreds of ways of doing pranayama. And in no way, shape, or form can we possibly cover them all. But we can start with the basics and we can start with the foundation. There are uh, the, the other uh, techniques, some of which we will discuss in more detail. But here um, we just list them. There's Christian Egyptian pranayama. This is from the Yellow Book. Esoteric vocalization from the Major Mysteries, and we'll get into that. Hamsa pranayama, which we've talked about before, but we'll talk about it again. The rune fa, the rune not. Uh, and this is why this, this live stream is called pranayama and runes and not just pranayama. And sexual transmutation for singles from the major mysteries. And um, two references to the two witnesses, one from the Kundalini Yoga and from Yellow Book. Now, these are all links that are available at this um, linked address, which, are on, which is on the screen. Now, if I click on that, it should open up the page and we should be able to scroll down. So this is the link. It's uh, in the chat and it's on the screen, okay? And this is the page that this link will take you to. It's, um, it's a blog, it's, it's, you know, what is pranayama? Um, it has this fellow doing the simple holding of the nostrils pranayama, and it has not just a description and not just some of these um, these quotes that we shared with you, but also the easy technique that we just shared with you, the holding of the breath. And then these are links to the detailed descriptions of these additional practices. Now... Christian Egyptian pranayama. This is a form of pranayama which combines mantralization and working with the nostrils. So the two nadis, 
the masculine and feminine nadis. Christian Egyptian pranayama, it's a little more complex, a little more complicated, a little bit more, there's more to it. And because the practice is different for men and women, we're not going to get into it here because it takes, it would take an exorbitant amount of time to go through it, explaining it. And we'd have to explain it for both men and women. Um, the resource is here for you to explore and study this and practice this on your own. Uh, some of the other ones we are going to get into though. So, um, and the ones that we haven't gotten into, the ones that we don't get into tonight, they're available for you. All the links are here for you to go and do your own study and your own exploration. One of the things that um, the Gnostic instructor uh, advises, and it's certainly something that we practice, is pick, uh, pick a practice of pranayama which seems to work for you, which seems to suit you, and stick with it. Don't jump back and forth between all these different practices. Um, you can do the runes, of course, but when it comes to pranayama, get really good at, at one practice. And the one that we prefer to do is hamsa. And we've explained it before and just very simply, it's just like holding the breath only you're using mantras when you do so. So on the inhalation, you're mentally uh, pronouncing the mantra as you're inhaling. So it's to the top of the head. Now, once you've inhaled, you visualize the energy, the prana, feeding your your brain enlightening illuminating we like to visualize like a tongue of fire or a halo about our head our, our our head glowing with the energy with the prana that we've just sent up there with the mantra hum and then you can vocalize or mentally make the sound right? And as you, as there's fire burning atop of your head, that's the sound of right? Or the glow, the light, whatever, you have that sound. And then you can also move the prana around to your third eye before finally releasing it down into your heart. And the mantra is and you send the energy into your heart. That's one hamsa pranayama so hum and you you can be silent right up top of the head and you can just do right so you don't have to elongate that s if you don't want to we've been doing it that way for years so that's just what we're used to but really the very basic hamsa meditation is inhale hold the energy top of the head visualize the energy 
however you want to visualize that, a halo about your head, your brain glowing, a tongue of fire atop your head, and hold the, the energy there. Hold it. Just like you would if you're just holding your breath. 30 seconds if you can. And then uh, we like to add the moving the energy around to the third eye, and then from there, into the heart. So hum, hold it, visualize, and then into the heart. And you can really focus and concentrate the energy, flow it into the heart, and feel it dissipating and being distributed throughout your body. Very simple. But you can get a detailed uh, description of it, again, by going to this link, uh, what is pranayama, um, and and here are here are all the links, including one to uh, Hamsa Pranayama. So if you want more detail, then you can get that. Before we continue, Eleftheria had a comment here. I have found profound benefit by doing deep stretching from a Shaolin Long Fist Kung Fu book before meditation. Perhaps stretching the body lends itself to stretching the consciousness. What it does is it helps in relaxation and it helps in your concentration. Uh, the mind-body connection is there, right? So what it does is it helps calm the mind. Does it help stretch out your consciousness? Uh, if that's the way you experience it, if that's the way you want to think about it, then certainly. But what it's really doing is it's as you're stretching all of the uh because remember the mind is not in your brain you have a mental body right that and and it's all prana it's all prana so no doubt as you're doing that uh the deep stretching from your shaolin uh uh tradition no doubt there's breathing involved and no doubt there's stimulation of chi because we've also studied Kung Fu and we've also practiced slow form and Kung Fu. We also know the temple motions, the Shaolin temple motions, um, which are basically Tai Chi motions or slowed down Kung Fu movements. But it's all it's all stretching and moving. It's like it's just like Tai Chi. So we do um, our Sifu taught us a lot of the slow forms in, in uh, the Kung Fu tradition, a lot of them from the Tai, uh, the Shaolin school. And when you are working with the physical body, focused and concentrated and relaxed, controlled relaxation, and then you're adding to that stretching, well, as you're stretching the muscles, that's all energy, that's all prana. And the mind-body connection is there. So the prana, the, the knots, right? The, the knots, the tension that's, that's causing the, the muscles to contract, and the ligaments and everything to seize up and shrink, as you stretch those out, it's like you're, it's like taking a, um, a garden hose, right? That's all like coiled up and knotted up and, and you know, and, and it's, you know what happens to a garden hose when, or, a, or like a vacuum hose when it, when you bend it, right? It, it cuts off the circulation. So what you're doing when you're stretching and you're doing that in a controlled and relaxed way, is you are opening up the nadis, you're opening up the channels, not just in the physical body, but of course the vital body, and 
if you're focused, relaxed, and concentrated on what you're doing, also the mental body. So, yes, it's a, it's, it can be a tremendous preparation for meditation. That's why real yoga, real yoga, combines the postures, right, with meditation with relaxation, concentration, visualization, and prayer. Real yoga. Not hatha yoga, where you're just doing the poses, and maybe some breathing, and maybe whatever. Real yoga. Yoga means union. Yoga means union. It comes from the Sanskrit yug, meaning to bind together. So... To put yourself in those positions and those, those stretches, and all of those stretches have significance, and you need to combine that with the mental and emotional body in prayer and meditation. To, to Because again, you're, you are working with prana. You're working with the prana in the mind and the heart and the physical body and the vital body. So yes, of course your experience makes sense, makes total sense. And if you were to combine pranayama, either before, during, or after your stretching, probably after, uh, or if your stretching prepares you in such a way for meditation that you can very quickly enter into meditation with a quiet mind, then do your pranayama in meditation. Uh, okay, where were we? Oh, yes. This brings us to, um, so all those uh, pranayama exercises are there, and we did the other one. Another simple pranayama exercise, of course, is the, um, is, well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. It's going to be part of one of the runes. So next brings, this brings us to energy in the runes. If up until now we've been focusing on uh, energy and pranayama and the relationship between, between prana and meditation and prana and tantra and prana in the physical body, prana in the mental body, the emotional body, the causal body, we've gone through all of that. Now we come to the practice of runes. Now runes are something which we really can't get into the whole metaphysical scientific background of them um, at this time. We're going to focus our conversation as it relates to energy. So, so rune, runic practices which feed the fire, as it were. But if one imagines the physical body, someone in a recent live stream mentioned mudras. And how mudras in was on our uh, live stream related to meditation. They were talking about how mudras can focus, can bring focus in meditation. Uh, imagine turning your entire body into whatever focus that mudra is doing, that you're doing with your hands. Imagine turning your whole body 
into that. We liken it to a tuning fork, but a tuning fork attuned to different frequencies. Each rune comes from the futhark or the runic alphabet, and they can be derived from the simple geometric shape that you see on the cover of the book here. Um, and each one relates to a different frequency and different quality of energy. So different application of energy, different application of prana. And the practicing of the rune not only draws in energy into the body, it also attunes and aligns that energy for the specific use that is related to that rune. So <clears throat> runes are a very useful and powerful practice. Let's just read the following. Beloved reader, we have stated very solemnly in our former Christmas messages that the poor intellectual animal is only a chrysalid and that which is called man must be formed and developed within it. Certainly, the solar fire is necessary for the possibility of becoming human to be created and developed within each of us. Fohat is the generative force, the central living and philosophical fire that can originate the authentic and legitimate mutant, the real and true human within the cosmobiology of the rational animal. Many types of fire exist. Let us remember the lights of St. Elmo's fire seen during the tempests. And this is, this is actually interesting. We want to um, continue reading this for you because this is, a, this is an interesting... Um, because when you talk about the energy, right? The fire, the prana. Master Samael here makes the point. Many types of fire exist. Let us remember the lights of St. Elmo seen during Tempest. Do you remember the song from the 80s, St. Elmo's Fire? It is good for us to remember the mysterious column of fire that guided the Israelites in the wilderness. It is worthwhile to remember the strange meteors of fire that appear in cemeteries. That physics, in its own way, has qualified under the name of fatuous fires. Many phenomena reminiscent of lightning exist in the form of balls, cat meteors, etc. In her monumental work entitled The Secret Doctrine, Helena Blavatsky refers to the sacred fire of Zoroaster or the Atash Behram of the Parsis. How ineffable are the words of HPB when she speaks of the fire of Hermes. The explanations of this great martyr from the last century are notable when she brings to our memory the fire of Hermes of the ancient Germans, the flashing light of Cybele, the torch of Apollo, the flame of the altar of Pan, the shining sparks on the hats of the Dioscuri, on the head of the Gorgons, on the helmet of the Pallas, and of the Caduceus of Mercury. How sublime was the imperishable fire in the temple of Apollo and in the temple of Vesta. How sublime was the Egyptian Ptah Ra during the night of the centuries. How magnificent shone the fire of the Greek Kataibatas Zeus 
which descended from heaven to earth in accordance with the Pasanias. Certainly the Pentecostal tongues of fire and the flaming bush of Moses are very similar to the burning tunnel which brought about the founding of Mexico. The imperishable lamp of Abraham still shines, refulgent and terribly divine. The eternal fire of the bottomless abyss or the pl pleroma of the Gnostics is something that can never be forgotten. When referring to the sacred fire, it is convenient to mention the fulgent vapors of the Oracle of Delphi, the sidereal light of the Rosicrucian Gnostics, the Akasha of the Hindustani adepts, the astral light of Eliphas Levi, etc. The initiatic books are written with characters of fire. We need to fecundate our intimate nature if we truly want the solar man to be born within us. And here we have the immortal Inri, Igni Natura Renovator Integra. The fire renews nature integrally. Among the multiple fires which crackle in the divine eagle, the one which glows, glitters, and shines in the pineal gland, the superior part of the brain, is always the troubadour of the Holy Spirit, who carries the ark from city to city, in other words, from chakra to chakra along the dorsal spine. Indeed, we need to awaken consciousness with, with intensely accelerated urgency if we want to know ourselves in depth. Only the self-conscious human being can penetrate into the parallel universes at will. The Hindustani Hatha yogis talk at length about Devi Kundalini, the igneous serpent of our magical powers, and they even suppose that they can awaken it based on respiratory exercises and many other complicated and difficult physical practices. We, the Gnostics, know that the brazen serpent that healed the Israelites in the wilderness, the divine princess of love, only awakens and arises, only awakens and arises along the dorsal spine by means of the Mayathuna. Nonetheless, it is, not, this, it is not advantageous to undervalue pranayama. It is worth knowing that this magical science of breath, pranayama, when wisely combined with scientific meditation, allows us to utilize certain sparks, flashes, flames of kundalini for the healthy purpose of attaining the awakening of the consciousness. To consciously work with the distinct parallel universes, to travel by will in a lucid, clear, and brilliant way through all of these supersensible regions is only possible by transforming the subconsciousness into consciousness. A judo of the spirit exists. We talked about psychological judo in our uh, live stream on meditation. Here, Master Samuel talks about the judo of the spirit. We are referring to runic exercises. These are formidable in order to attain the awakening of the consciousness. Whosoever wants to work with his judo must begin to work with the rune of mercury, which has a violet color that originates extraordinary cosmic forces. Therefore, it is necessary to know that this aforesaid Nordic rune enclosed within itself all of the potency and impulse of fecundity. We need the Fohat's breath, the Pentecostal sparks, in order to fecundate our own psyche, 
in order for us to become self-conscious. If we analyze the practice of the rune fa, we can affirm that pranayama, prayer, meditation, and a specific sacred posture all exist within it. So, let's look at this practice. Okay, well that <clears throat> came in the wrong order. But anyway, when we get out of bed, this is a morning practice. When we get out of bed, with immense happiness, we must salute each new day by raising our arms toward our Lord, the Son, Christ. <clears throat> The arms must be placed in such a way that the left arm is a little more elevated than the right. We can't really do this on camera. So we're just going to have to go through the, uh, the description. So your left arm is a little more elevated than the right. And the palms of our hands must face the light in an ineffable and sublime attitude of one who truly longs to receive the solar rays. This is the sacred posture of the rune fa. We're making an F, right, out of our, out of our body. We've made an F, like the rune on the, in the, uh, on the slide. And our left arm is slightly above the right, and we've turned our whole body into an F, with our palms facing the sun. This is the sacred posture of the rune fa. Thus, this is also a method to work with pranayama by inhaling the air through the nose and exhaling it through the mouth in a rhythmical way and with much faith. Let us imagine in those instants that the light of the sun Christ penetrates within us through the fingers of our hands, then circulates through our arms inundates the whole of our organism and finally reaches the consciousness in order to stimulate it, to awaken it, and to call it into activity. You must also practice this runic judo in the mysterious and divine nights before the starry sky of Urania with the same posture and praying like this. So you put our arms up, you're making the, uh, an F out of your body, and you say, marvelous forces of love, Revive my sacred fires so that my constant so that my consciousness will awaken. And we do the mantras Fa Fe Fi Fo Fu. Now we shorten those. We shorten those, but you want to. Do one whole breath in inhalation and one whole breath fa until you run out of fa. And then you do another breath. Fe, right? And so you, you're gonna do five whole long deep breaths and fa fe fi fo fu. And then you can drop your arms and just relax them for a moment because they will get tired. And <clears throat> just relax. And then maintaining your, your devotional attitude, your, your, your faith, you put your arms up again, again, facing the east, facing the sun, the rising sun. And again, 
fa fe fi fo fu do this at least three times preferably do it seven times or as many times as you wish following that and as you are doing the mantras marvelous uh, and by the way and each time you raise your arms up you you say marvelous forces of love revive my sacred fire so that my constant consciousness will awaken and as you're doing fa fe fi fo fu visualize feel the prana feel the the, the christic energies the christic atoms like your palms are receptors like your palms are petals on a sunflower or solar panels and you are you are capturing the solar light the solar energy and you're you're drawing it in through your palms down your arms down into your spinal column and into the nadis and circulating up and down your spine and in the shushumna uh, canal This is a powerful practice. And if you find you, yourself lethargic or running out of energy by the end of the day, doing this in the morning will give you tremendous energy to work with the rest of the day. And again, you can do it in the evening. Um, we always face the east when we do this practice, though. So if the, if the setting sun is going down, you won't be facing the sun. Um, but it doesn't matter. It's just face the east and... Close your eyes and visualize the sun. As we've said before, we've done this practice facing, um, we had this uh, sarong from Bali and there was a sun on it. We had it hanging on our wall and there was on the east wall. Uh, so we would very rarely ever be directly looking at the sun, but we would be looking at this image of the sun facing the east. And, it, and this, this practice of fa would always work. But if you can get out in the morning, maybe going for a morning walk, a morning jog or whatever and you can actually face the morning uh, sunrise and do this practice it's a phenomenal practice and again it incorporates pranayama it incorporates breathing and it incorporates mantra as well but it's this attenuation of the physical vessel turning the the body into this receptor this this tuning fork this uh, this radio receiver, right? A solar panel, and you want to talk about feeding the fire? You're getting it directly from the sun, the solar Christ, and this is the fire, the solar fires, the Christic fires that we want to be feeding through our working with energy. So this is a this is a phenomenal practice. Um, and of course. The link that we were just reading, uh, we may as well. Um, it's from the book, The Magic of the Runes. And uh, oh, these things will make it clear why. Uh, oh, wait, uh, sorry. So Eleftheria has, has a couple things here. The strange supernatural sightings in the Old Testament are likely due to humans, possibly from advanced future technology. Look up uh, Maro Bigley on YouTube to see what I mean. Uh, she says, don't share this until you have had time to study, digest what I have shared. I suspect Jesus was 
is in the humanitarian counter counter to the tyrannical narrative in the Old Testament. Uh, these things will make it clear why Gnostics said Yahweh was not God. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so the link describing the rune fa, we're just throwing that in the, um, the chat here. And there it's on screen as well, but it was on screen already. It's on the slide. So, uh, but it's in the chat. Next, we move on to the rune not or natis. Now, there's two versions, there's two practices or two versions of this practice. The first, uh, well, let's describe the practices of the rune not takes us to the performance of the pranayama, that is to say, to the wise and intelligent combination of solar and lunar atoms. So you must profoundly inhale the vital air, the prana, the life, through the right nostril and exhale it through the left nostril while mentally counting up to 12. Then, after, inhale through the left nostril and exhale through the right one and vice versa. Continue with this exercise for 10 minutes. In this practice, you must control your nostrils with your index finger and your thumb. So this practice of the rune nod, it's like this teeter-totter, but you're teeter-tottering the prana through the nadi. So right nostril and hold and then exhale and count to 12. And then breathe in through the left nostril and hold and then exhale through the right nostril and count to 12. So this is that pranayama. That's why we didn't mention it there because it was going to be incorporated when we were talking about this particular rune, the rune not. So that alternating nostril pranayama, that's an aspect of this rune. Afterwards, the Gnostic student must sit down or lay down in dorsal decubitus on his back facing upwards. With his body relaxed, he must concentrate and try to remember his past lives. This is just a, this is a practice that, because again, pranayama, prana exists on all the different levels of our being. So this particular uh, practice of the rune, rune not can be used to help remember your past lives. Now, the second practice is the more physical one. This is where we alternate the, the right and left arms. And we do a mantra just like uh, the rune fa. But in the case of requiring the assistance of Anubis, and this is this, by the way, this rune is also related to if you want to negotiate your karma, you can use this rune. Anubis, if you urgently need to negotiate with him, then you must open your arms to the sides. While in this position, you must form the rune by placing one arm at an angle of 135 degrees and the other arm at an angle of only 45 degrees. Then, the arm which forms the angle of 45 degrees will move in order to form an angle of 135 degrees, and the other arm will move to form the angle of 45 degrees. In other words, to put another way, you're doing a seesaw motion with your arms. During this exercise, you must chant the mantra, mantras, na, ne, ni, no, nu, while having your mind concentrated on Anubis, the chief of karma. In this manner, beseech him for your for the negotiation you wish and ask him for the urgently needed help. We mentioned this uh, 
we mentioned negotiation of karma in a previous live stream. This rune can assist with that. Um, and again, it's na ne ni no nu. We've just shortened that up. You're going to use a full breath each time. And we would do one movement, one complete movement, forward and back on each mantra. So on each, on every na, you're going to move your arms from one position to the other position and back again. And then you can take a breath and then do the next one. And again, this is good for assisting in uh, appealing to Anubis in the negotiation of karma. But it's also related to the energy as the previous practice, which is the, the direct pranayama practice. But that's the room not. Uh, these are the only two runes that we're going to discuss tonight because it's, they're the two runes which directly related to the energy of the fire. But what, there's one other practice. or Sorry, there are more runes. And there is a rune course. The link is on the screen. The, the quote is, the language of the protoplasmic root race was the word of gold, a universal and cosmic language whose combinations of sounds produced cosmic phenomena of all kinds. Those who follow the path of the perfect matrimony come to discover that primeval language again within themselves. When the sacred fire reaches the level of the throat, we then begin to speak in the very pure rising of the divine language, which like a river of gold delightfully flows through the dense, sunny jungle. The cosmic laws of nature were taught to the gods by their inner fathers by chanting in this language. The script of the first root race was with the runes. The mallet of masonry comes from the arrow of the Egyptian god Ra, and this is a rune. In that epoch, the rituals of the polar temple were all runic. The movements of the officials were runic. This is the divine script. Let us remember that the swastika is a rune. The Hebrew letters are but modifications of runic letters. And the rune course on glorian.org, and again, the, the link is right on the slide, will, goes through all of these runes, including the ones that we just went through. Uh, rune Fa. Oh, what was the other one we did? We're getting tired. <laughs> We're getting tired. We're getting a little uh, disjointed. Okay. So all the runes are covered in this course. Some of them have entire lectures dedicated to what just one rune. Others have multiple runes covered in one le lecture. But that course is available to you. We highly recommend that you uh, uh, go through it and or get the book 
uh, The Magic of the Runes by Simon Bayor. All the runes are covered in that book as well. And begin practicing them. Because as Master Samael describes in the intro to this course, and this is from The, per the Perfect Matrimony, the book, um, if you want to embody the Christ, if you want to become a living, breathing embodiment of the solar fire, then why not do a practice which in every way, shape, and form, in, in a practical way, is doing that. Like, like the rune fa that we're doing, you're, you're attracting and, and, and bringing forth the Christic fire into your physical body, into your, into your temple. You're becoming an instrument of the fire. And you're using the sound and the breath to work with the prana in that intelligent way. And you are a living, breathing, like a lightning rod, attracting that energy. All of the runes work in that same basic principle. So when we talk about the transformation and transmutation and the metamorphosis of the intellectual animal into a true human being and a true human being into a self-realized master, a resurrected master, a Christified master, then we see what the power of the runes really are. It was the rune not we did. We did the runes fa and not. It was on the tip of my tongue. It's just, we're tired. It's been a long day. Okay. We've been writing all, we've been writing our book all day and we had to prepare for this, uh, this, this live stream as well. So, all right. So that's the rune course. For the rest of the runes. Finally tonight, uh, we're just going to cover very quickly the energy and mantra. Now clearly the runes incorporate mantra, yes? And the pranayama incorporate breathing. And pranayama also incorporates mantra. And mentally and vo the vocalization of mantra. And if you do the Egyptian Christian pranayama, again, mantra will be there. But we talked about the flow of energy, the flow of prana through the chakras. And we mentioned how we activate chakras with mantras. And each chakra has its own mantra. Well, that means that mantras are intimately related to prana and intimately related to energy. The vowel E pronounced E as in tree, awakens the frontal chakra and makes us clairvoyant. That's the third eye and the crown. The vowel E, pronounced E as in red, awakens the thyroid chakra and makes us clairaudient because the throat is the esoteric ear. The vowel O, pronounced O as in no, awakens the heart chakra and makes us intuitive. The vowel U, pronounced U as in U, awakens the solar plexus and makes us telepathic. The vowel A, pronounced A as in tall, or so A, 
awakens the pulmonary chakra in order to remember past existences. That's ah is the uh, chakra of the lungs. These vowels are vocalized by sustaining and prolonging the sound of each one of them. By combining mental vocalization with pranayama, one can vocalize in the following order. E -e -o -a. One will mentally imitate the sound of the air, hurricane, or breeze. Each letter must be mentally vocalized separately. So we're always we're just truncating these things for the sake of time. By means of these studies and exercises, any human can attain the degree of a Christ. The degree of a Christ. <laughs> uh, so mantra is also something that we practice during Tantra. It's something that works in pranayama. And we mention it here because this is related to, again, vocalization for singles. This is one of those practices that was on that list, that was on that blog page that we shared with you. And we said we were going to go through some of them, right? This page here. We said we were going through some of them. So we gone, we did... We've now done esoteric vocalization for singles, hamsa, and these runes. There's, there's Egyptian pranayama, there's a sexual transmutation for singles, and then these two chapters on the, uh, the two witnesses. So, again, we shared this link with you in the chat. Uh, these other practices are there and available to you. But we put this slide last because mantra and prayer are going to be the topic of our next live stream related to core practices. Each one of these uh, practices, as you can see, blends into the other one. And, but whereas every time we mention it, right? Like when we mentioned pranayama in meditation, we were focused on the meditation aspect and we said, yes, well, pranayama is a good way to prepare, but we, we just focused on the tip of the iceberg. And tonight we focused on energy and the transformation and the feeding the fire of the Christ, working with the prana. And we went, we, we, we talked about now all the, the metaphysical scientific background between all of that and some of the practices and now we've mentioned how mantra is an intricate part of pranayama and rune practices so now but that's just the tip of the iceberg right that's just the tip of the iceberg in our next live stream we are going to take a we will take a deep dive into mantra into prayer the same way that we did in pranayama tonight, so that you can have a more fleshed out and a more voluptuous, comprehensive appreciation for what it is we are doing when we do these core practices and what makes them core practices. Hopefully, 
each and every time we do one of these live streams about the core practices on the path, you come away from it with a deeper appreciation what makes it a core practice. And now how you know now how pranayama is not just breathing exercises. That's the least, least of what pranayama is. And now you getting you're getting a sense of you have a deeper appreciation and a deeper foundation for going into the other practices and also for going back and retrospecting on the transformation of impressions on meditation and the appreciation for how mantra plays a role in in those practices as well uh, and uh, prana how prana uh, is involved okay so that brings us to the end of tonight's live stream and the the end of our slides and we have about 10 minutes or so uh, for, for questions or comments that you may have. Um, <clears throat> if you want to share anything, share anything. But if you have any questions, uh, we'd be more than happy to do our best to try to answer them. <clears throat> As we mentioned, we're we're writing our book, and uh, it and we're trying to. Um, at the same time, we have to do all this social media stuff because we're trying to um, uh, build our our followers. This is something that uh, we keep mentioning, and uh, we will keep mentioning it at the end of our live streams. And that is, if there's anything that we post that you like. That you think is valuable, um, then feel free to share it as well. Uh, invite others to to like Atlas Information on Facebook, for example, or or invite them to follow our Instagram or something. Because um, we can write the book, but if we don't, if we can't show to a publisher that we have a following, there's very little chance that the book will get published. And so that's uh, that's one thing that you can help us with. Is um, is help help uh, share the stuff that we create and help try to attract uh, new people to come and participate in these live streams, also, but also just on Facebook on Atlas Information. Benjamin asks, "Is the prana felt in the mind, heart, or somehow through the senses?" Okay, yes, it is. Yes, you can feel it. Of course, you can. Has your foot ever fallen asleep? Okay, has your foot ever fallen asleep? And have you felt or any body part fallen asleep? And then you feel the pins and needles, the tingling sensation of uh, that, that maybe a, a numbness and it's followed by pins and needles. Okay, you're feeling prana. That's what's getting, that's when, you, when, when something falls asleep, it's because you've put pressure on it, right? And then the prana accumulates, it pools in that body part and then when and so it 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 becomes concentrated as it becomes concentrated it becomes intensified and the more intensified it becomes the more we are able to feel it 
If you've ever done Qigong, now the whole thing about Qigong is just holding a pose and being relaxed and breathing and holding a pose and just putting your focused awareness and concentration into your body part. And all of a sudden, you can, you can start to feel the tingling. You can start feeling the tingling in your fingertips. It's so all you're doing is just, you're not doing anything. You're just relaxing and you're holding your hands up and you're just focusing your consciousness and attention on your fingertips, on your hands, and all of a sudden, you, you can start to feel the tingling. That's prana. You're feeling the prana. You're feeling your vital body in that moment. Now, when you're doing pranayama, uh, a hamsa pranayama, and you raise the prana to your, to your crown chakra, your mind, and you're visualizing, is it? Absolutely, you can feel it. And if you move the prana over to your third eye, you feel your third eye awakening, your third eye opening. Well, that's well. What's happening there? Well, that your third eye is opening. That's that's in your uh, uh, your consciousness. Your your, your that's aspect uh, related to your mental body. That's the relation, the connection between your consciousness and your mental body. If you feel that pressure, or as you uh, focus on your heart in meditation, and you feel your third eye like this pressure, this focused concentration in your third eye and it's and it's like a pressure you feel you're feeling you're feeling prana you're feeling prana in your mental body if you're praying and you're putting all this devotion and you're putting all of this uh um you're really feeling it in your heart and your heart starts to glow and you feel that 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 glowing uh expansiveness in your heart you're feeling the prana in your emotional center in your heart chakra we feel prana all the time we just take it for granted and we just don't know what it is and of course when you're doing prana sometimes you feel heat sometimes you will feel it as heat as you're doing pranayama if you do pranayama like we, we this happens so as we try doing pranayama under the covers we'll start to sweat like a pig there's all that heat being generated as we're circulating that energy Benjamin says, thank you, sir. Can the prana serve our higher being or is it up to us to guide the flow of that energy through sincere prayer? As a working person, I feel that most of my energy or prana is spent in work. That's why pranayama, one of the best times to do pranayama is in the morning while you still have energy. And the second thing is, is if you do that practice fa, the rune fa, then you can, if you do that for, let's say, five minutes and then do pranayama immediately afterward, you'll have all the energy you need for your pranayama. And doing pranayama does not waste energy, does not use energy. It transmutes some of the energy, yes, but it's transmuting in a positive way. So, and can the prana serve your higher being? Yes, absolutely, the prana serves the higher being. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of this entire lecture is that is your higher being, your innermost Christ, is the fire, is the flame, the spark, the essence that we're feeding by doing all these practices. That is what we're doing. But it's up to us to guide that energy and meditation um, at the beginning. And because that energy is at our level, right now and so we are 
But the whole point of this is to do the will of our innermost being. The whole point of this is yoga, union, right? Relegare, to bind together with our innermost, to become one, to awaken as our innermost being. Where we're no longer thinking so much about my, my false self and my true self. We're just thinking about my true self and the Christ, the Logos, the being of beings. But to get there, we have to awaken. So it's levels and levels. So at the beginning, we have to work with what we work with. But that energy, because of the law of free will, that energy is in our wheelhouse to, to, to do with it what we will. That's why so many people squander it and so many people waste it. And God is not a tyrant. God is not going to prevent you from making mistakes, right? God is not going to prevent us from squandering our energy. If that's what we want to do with it, we are allowed to do it. We are allowed to make mistakes. We are allowed to accrue negative karma. That's part of the journey, right? To be able to make mistakes and, uh, and have to learn from our mistakes. So that's why we need to work with it. We need to do it. Thank you for that clear explanation, sir. Really appreciate all the knowledge you share with the world, praying for success in your endeavors. Thank you so much, Benjamin. Thank you for being here, one and all. Um, uh, we have time for a couple uh, question, uh, another question if someone has it. And remember, um, we're not asking anybody for any money or anything else. We, we welcome you. We're more, it's, we're more than happy and more than content to have you be here and participate. But if you do want to make a contribution of time and effort to our cause, then, uh, all we ask you to do is to share on social media, uh, what we do. If you think it's a valuable to you, share it with others. That's, that's all we ask of you. No more, nothing else. And keep coming and keep, uh, uh, keep participating and um and and we won't ask anything more of you because the more you share our work with others the more uh the more others are attracted to and 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 follow us on facebook the more evidence we will have to the publishers that people want this material and that we have a built-in audience and that that will get us the right publisher and be able to get our book out to the maximum number of people, which is our goal to help as many people as we can to try to help alleviate the suffering of as many members of this suffering humanity as possible. That is all that we care about. Okay. That is our Mahayana mindset. So uh, if you can, help us in that endeavor then then we, we are be most grateful for that absolutely elon musk's brain chip is said to enable instant orgasm i'm worried that if humanity accepts this tech there will be more people with the kunda buffer organ in this world everybody has a kunda buffer organ already but you're right the uh, technology that they're doing now in this metaverse and human 2.0 and all that stuff it's all about creating zombies. It's the zombie apocalypse. And um, it's the Borg, right? It's the Borg. 
And the easiest way to keep people hypnotized is with pleasure and pain, right? Craving and aversion, giving them what they want and, and scaring them with what they don't want, right? Keeping them in line, pleasure and pain, carrot and stick. And, and, um, Conjure magic for them, right? Keep them entertained. Keep them, keep them distracted. All that stuff. All that stuff. It's all, it's all, it's all the work of, uh, it's all the work of, 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 of ego, of the Black Lodge. So, all right. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you for uh, your uh, your time, your attention. We'll throw that up there just for one last time. And um, we hope that we will see you again on Friday. And if not, whenever, it, whenever you can come and be with us next. Until then, have a wonderful evening, a wonderful rest of the week, and uh, inverential peace. God bless. We'll see you soon. Good night.